going on, everybody? It is Hardcore Football. I'm Phil Baki. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mika Burrell. Mika, what's up? Not much, Phil. Um, yeah, it's like I told you before we start recording, it's getting cold down here, so I'm all like snuggled up. I got my tea and my my fuzzy socks. I'm ready to talk <laughs> another crazy week of, of football. <laughs> that's, that's so wild to me. Cause obviously I've, I've moved North, um, mm-hmm. but I've somehow dodged uh, a lot of the cold weather. Like it was looking rough for a couple of weeks. And then now we've had like a heat wave. It's been in the seventies, like the last couple of days up here in Ohio. Oh my God. And in Texas it's freaking cold. So <laughs> yeah, weird weird times i'm uh i don't know i'm taking credit for bringing the the warmth uh up north <laughs> with me um there you go yeah <laughs> but i mean speaking of i guess traveling um it's the international break and for all that's going on right now like obviously i don't think anyone is begrudging like football happening and and it's still behind closed doors and all that but with covid kind of resurgent worldwide i think i think it has to be said numbers kind of creeping up across the world how is the international break occurring i i don't know and this is like the like third like international break already of the like of this season's calendar whatever this season's calendar actually is i don't know it's so like obviously, like last week we we talked about and we gushed over you know the men's United States men's national teams call ups and that's cool but yeah like surely not like <laughs> we kind of don't need any of these fixtures and and like the protocols are different among leagues among countries among yeah. confederations like so um, you know these bubbles are, are they even really bubbles anymore? If, 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 if players are getting called to, to the national team, it's just, uh, it's weird. And I, and I've heard that like, I think in Italy, at least some of the clubs in, in Serie A are not allowing their players to get called up. So, um, it's, it's just a shame for, for everyone involved that we even have to like think about this, but yeah, I don't know how, how this is continuing on. There's even more implications uh, for the international break, which a couple of club managers uh, in England addressed uh, over the weekend. <laughs> but we'll get to that a little bit later. We've got, gosh, we got, lo- uh, I mean, as always, uh, tons to talk about because this weekend was, as you said, just as crazy as it as it has been, um, unpredictable um, and and all of that. But one league that we've kind of neglected recently because it's been so normal has been the Bundesliga. Um, but I want to start there because they're classicer. Like they're classicer. And yeah. it was a classic. It we had a classic. Um and I said this over the weekend. Obviously, Bayern Munich. 3-2 winners and there is an element of kind of an inev- inevitability about this Bayern win but this felt during the game it felt like the heavyweight matchup and I, I tweeted this uh, during during the game as well it felt again like the heavyweight matchup that Germany deserves at the top of the table um, this felt less of a formality than it's been in recent seasons and Bayern were pushed by Dortmund 
Yeah, they were. I mean, in some some corners of the Dortmund fan base might feel like they could have won this match. Um, you know, like you said, Bayern, eventually they come out 3-2 winners. Um, but uh, if I'm not mistaken, Dortmund edged them in, in possession and, and chance creation ever so slightly. I think ultimately uh, quality won out on the day and maybe um, experience uh, being that this Dortmund side is so young. But yeah, I, I fully agree with you. I think that this this fixture actually lived up to its billing. It wasn't just, um, you know, a formality um, as far as Bayern Munich is concerned. Yeah, I, th- I, I don't know. It had that feel of Dortmund being the kind of more naive side yeah. and Bayern being that experienced and and just had that now to to kind of navigate this fixture, um, but when Marco Royce opens the scoring, it definitely could have gone pretty poorly from there. Bayern grabbing that equalizer just a couple of minutes later is so huge in in swinging this fixture kind of back on level terms. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, yeah, the, the naivety, I think, definitely did, did play into it. I think it says a lot that the experienced player, Marco Royce, is the one to get, um, you know, the, the ball rolling for Dortmund in the scoring department. Um, and yeah, once once Byron scored, once they answered back, you knew there was going to be definitely a lot more goals in this one, and it was just going to come down to uh, quality on the day. Um you know, another player that that did score, but I thought could have scored probably two or three more as he usually does is Erling Holland. <laughs> um, usually, just smashes the ball with as much power as he can usually get behind it. But it, it felt like he was trying to be like too cute almost, or or just trying to finesse certain chances. I don't know if there's something about facing Manuel Neuer, like it's some of those one-on-ones that, that kind of psyched him out. Um, he just seemed to overthink certain chances and I think he'll want some of those back. I think he could have done a bit more. He, again, he does score. So I'm not totally like crapping on the, on the guy, but <laughs> um, yeah, there was just some moments that you just like, okay. Um, you know, a Lewandowski or whoever takes that chance, a Sergio Aguero, like a, you know, a Benzema, like a, an experienced player up front. Um, so I think that was one of the differences. Um, but, you know, even turning to some of the experience in Dortmund side, Matt's almost like he, all three Byron goals, I felt like he had something to do with it, whether it was not getting tight enough to his man or, um, you know, just not marshalling that, that back line. He is yeah. the, the senior player back there, I would say. Um, and he was poor, um, very poor <laughs> indeed. And a player yeah. that, uh, you know, played for Bayern for many years, won many trophies with him, um, and then came back to Dortmund. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I, I don't know. I think Dortmund can still, I mean, they'll, I think they'll meet at least one more time. So one more time in the league. So maybe they can put it right next time, but you know, just close, but no cigar, I guess for the, for the black and yellows. Yeah. And I think the Holland Holland versus Lewandowski, it's kind of the, you know, the next generation uh, versus the current, but Lewandowski demonstrating like why he is, at the very heights of of world football right now one of you know his first goal is chalked off um for offside um but he bodies hummels for the second and it's just after halftime too so alaba equalizes right before halftime 
Lewandowski yeah. scores three minutes after the restart, and it's just like that is such like that that kind of quick fire double. Um, it it just I think that put this Dortmund side kind of on the back foot, and obviously they chase the game from there. The Sane the the Sane goal is just I don't know, and and maybe this is where we get to our question. Um, for those familiar with uh, El Paso Locomotive soccer Twitter, they'll know uh, this account, the Ninth Notch Boys. Um, <laughs> they ask, "Is Bayern ever going to let the rest of the Bundesliga have nice things?" And I mean, <laughs> they bring Sane off the bench. And he scores in the 80th minute, just a lovely goal uh, cutting in off of the right onto his left foot, actually, which is, I think, a little bit strange for those who have watched Sané in the past. Uh, he's normally deployed on the left flank um, right. or had been for for Manchester City. So is Bayern going to let the, less, the rest of the Bundesliga have nice things? Uh, I mean, ultimately, no. Um, <laughs> I think it is worth pointing out though that that Bayern Munich at this point have conceded more than double the goals that Dortmund have in the league so there is a soft underbelly to this Bayern side the fact is though that they just outscore everyone um so it's yeah I mean if if there's anywhere to get at them it's on that right side of course Joshua Kimmich goes down in this game with a serious injury he'll be out for some months yeah um I'm not gonna lie. I giggled a little bit at the at the tackle because it was cynical, and yeah. he pay, he ultimately pays the price for it. Um, and that is a big miss for Bayern. Um, he's, you know, I think he's a future Bayern captain, future Germany captain, possibly. Um, and then right, you know, Bayern's right side. They've always looked a little bit vulnerable because that's the side that Boateng is on. Yeah, <laughs> typically. Um, and then Bunasar comes in, and that that side was just, you know. Holland and, and Rena kept combining on that side and, and getting at, at Byron and, and Byron even before Kimmich were conceding more than more than some of the, the uh, other teams in the in and around the Champions League places. So, you know, you can get at, at them there at that defense, at that side of the defense. Um, but ultimately, I think they just have way too much firepower, way too much experience, way too much class yeah. to really let anyone near them, you know, the Leipzigs and the Dortmunds and, and what have you. Well, and if if there's a season to, you know, employ that sort of approach where it's just, we're just going to get in shootouts every game, this is the season to do it because I, For there, sure. there aren't a lot of teams that can stand up uh to just that relentless attack and obviously being able to bring a guy like Sané off the bench is a is a luxury that few teams uh can afford um sure. but yeah for the positives for Dortmund though in this one like post post game I think the combination and the link up between Reyna and Holland we've seen it all a lot already this this season and it is potentially scary for a lot of teams not just in Germany but across Europe and for a long time to come potentially with both of them obviously very young fledgling almost in their careers and Gio Reyna is keeping some very good players on the bench Torgan Hazard is not getting into this Dortmund side and he was <laughs> like he was brought in expressly to be that guy and Gio Reyna has come in and and taken that place and earned it um you know Julian by, Brent. yeah 
Julian yeah. Brandt as well. Yeah. I mean, there are yeah. some legitimate attacking talents that Gio Reyna has come in and supplanted, basically. So, um, yeah, I think that combination, it almost yields a, a very early goal um, for Holland that he should put away. Um, that just nice, the initial pass was played from Marco Royce, I believe, out out from that right wing, out to Reyna. Um, but he slides a lovely ball through for Holland that he should bury um, and and will like nine times out of 10 this season right. if he's on the end of that. But um, as you mentioned earlier, he was a little bit wasteful in this one and uh, and Dortmund ultimately pay the price. Um, but not the only not the only exciting goal scoring goal fests in the uh, <laughs> in in the Bundesliga this weekend because Mika your your defolen uh Gladbach on the wrong end of a 4-3 loss to Leverkusen um this was just a uh, like I know obviously you have an attachment to one of these teams but this is a brilliant game of football to watch yeah, yeah, one for the neutrals for sure. Um, se- I mean, seven goals scored. What more can you ask for? Um, look, Bayer Leverkusen are a good side. I think they've been kind of under the radar um, a little bit, uh, given that they, you know, I don't. They're not in Europe this year, if I'm not mistaken. So they, you know, kind of ended on on you know less than a high note than than a Gladbach did last season, but. Um, they're still a good side, still have a lot of young players in this side, you know, even with the departure of Kai Havertz, they can still on their day, you know, do what they did to Gladbach here. They do concede a lot. So, yeah. um, you know, that's something for them to, to, to think about, but, you know, ultimately they, they dominated the ball. Um, I think, I think the scoreline is actually somewhat flattering to Gladbach, um, which is tough for me to say, but, uh, you know, Leverkusen had nearly 60% of the ball. And that was from the off. I mean, Gladbach just looked very leggy, um, flat, um, and, and, you know, not not the adjectives you associate with the Marco Hose aside. So, um, you know, every team's going to have these games. And, and they did travel to Ukraine midweek for, for that um, Champions League shootout with Shakhtar. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, I kind of give Gladbach a little bit of a pass for this one. Um, and, yeah, they were, you know, Leverkusen, they were just fantastic. But... We gotta we gotta talk about the the scorpion goal. That was the oh one like bright God. spot. Is this potential? <laughs> if you haven't seen it, like go look at Valentino Lazaro's um, finish for the our our third. I think it was. Um, yeah, the con- the best beautiful. consolation goal you'll ever see. And <laughs> in commentary, probably one of the greatest moments where I don't know who it was, but the the uh, color commentator for the like world feed um like the Mm. espn plus feed um he was like that's the best goal yeah he didn't even know what else to say he's like that's the best (laughs) goal that's the best goal he's you know that's the best goal ever he just was like he couldn't even think of a goal that's been better it wasn't like goal of the season goal he's like that's the best goal um, like period yeah it was incredible it was incredible <laughs> it is it, a it is a puskas uh it has to be a puskas contender although sometimes i or contender sometimes i feel like the puskas goal is has a lot to do with the game state and like the meaning behind the goal unfortunately yeah. this goal is like again a <laughs> consolation but i hope he'll be considered because it's outrageous and yeah. yeah 
And I said Leverkusen are not in Europe. They are in Europe. They're in the Europa League. Right. <laughs> um, but, I mean, who cares about the Europa League, I guess. <laughs> um i have to i have to shout out leverkusen and a couple highlight a couple of their players because i think the beginning of the season we spoke about leverkusen being having the potential to kind of fall off because of kai havertz departing and we're like where are the goals going to come from we know they have we know they have players who can score but they also lost kevin voland um who's at monaco now and so in this game we saw um Lucas Alario um who I think there's been question marks and rightly so around him as a, as kind of a number 9 he isn't the most pragmatic player he isn't the most like kind of traditional center forward he scores an absolute banger on 27 minutes and then a kind of pure center forward's goal bullying a center back and and yeah. winning a a header um, in the box. So yeah, Alario for me just had a brilliant game and Leon Bailey continues a run of goal scoring form after, you know, he was one of like the hottest properties in world football a couple of years ago. And now he had fallen off a little bit over the last 18 months, maybe now he's been on a, a goal scoring run. He's got three goals in his last two games. So um, yeah, he's bouncing back in a big way. And then uh, bomb Gartlinger adding the the icing on the cake, a really well-worked goal too from Leverkusen for the fourth. So um, yeah, I mean, maybe the, maybe the reports of, of Leverkusen's goal, uh, you know, uh, I guess, or struggle for goals, a little mm. bit, a little bit exaggerated. Yeah, I mean, I think in Lucas Alario's case, he was always a player that could produce given a run of games, and obviously his his position or you know his place in the squad was a little bit more tenuous when Kevin Vallon was still in in Leverkusen. Now he's gone to Monaco. Now Alario can kind of either lead the line or be kind of that shadow striker behind another uh, number nine, and and he's got like seven goals already, something crazy like that, seven or eight. Um, so, you know, good on him. I wonder if, uh, Argentina will, will look at him given his form. I think that would be really cool. Um, and, and yeah, Leon Bailey, I think, um, he kind of, like you said, he kind of fell off in form. And then there was a lot of that drama with the, the Jamaica national team. And finally he's like committed to the reggae boys. And I feel like now that that's behind him, he could finally focus on his, his football and he's playing very well indeed. Um, maybe someone to potentially move to the Premier League in the near future question mark. Um, but yeah, no, Leverkusen have a lot of, a lot of talent in the side. And at the moment it, it looks like they're functioning just fine without Kai Havertz. Yeah. They actually move level on points with Dortmund uh, following that game after seven matches, Byron's still sitting top two points ahead of Leipzig. Um, and then, uh, Mönchengladbach uh, level with Wolfsburg. Um, they're in seventh uh, behind Wolfsburg on goal difference, but Mönchengladbach, uh, you know, top of their Champions League group. So not too much to worry about <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> um, but at the other end of the table, we had the matchup of the two trouble teams, I would say, uh, in, in the Bundesliga. And it was Mainz... Schalke ends in a 2-2 draw and the manner in which like these goals come about 
two penalties for Mainz. That's how they get their two goals. And then Schalke, uh, Mark Ut scores for them. And then in own a Mainz own goal. So like this comedy of errors for both teams (laughs) and this two, two draw almost encapsulates the problems with both teams and their inability to really get any joy this season. Yeah, I mean, shout out to anyone who watched all 90 plus minutes of this match because, <laughs> dear God, like, it's just <laughs> diabolical. Um, I mean, yeah, they're the, you know, bottom two sides in the in the Bundesliga. They both fired their managers early. Both these new managers are looking for their first ever victory with their respective clubs. Neither of them get that here. Mine's at least get their first point, which I think will make them even sicker having given away that own goal in like the 82nd minute. Um, I think it was St. Just or, or something like that. But yep. for Schalke, this is 23 games without a victory in the Bundesliga. That's like, insane. For a club of their size like that, and their history is just not good. Um, and then, uh, like I said, Mainz, they're just getting their first point of the season. So, I mean, I think both these teams are doomed if something doesn't, you know, they have, neither of them seem to have gotten any like new manager bounce as it were. So I don't know what the answer is here for, for either of these sides, but yeah, two, two between two bad teams is, (laughs) is, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's it, I guess. Yeah, the uh, the other notable results uh, across the Bundesliga, Hertha actually beat Augsburg 3-0 um, and and pretty decent result for them. Um, and Piontek gets on the on the score sheet, which I think a welcome sight uh, for for Hertha fans. Leipzig takes care of Freiburg 3-0. But the one team that I want to shout out before we move on Union Berlin uh, hop up to fifth. Um, in this in this fledgling season with a five nil drubbing of Arminia Bielefeld, a not so uh, happy return to um, to Union for former boss Uvi Neuhaus, um, current current manager of of Arminia Bielefeld. Um, but Union, I mean, in pretty good position for even if it is just seven games into the season. Yeah, they have they haven't lost since mid September which yeah. is incredible. They're, they're just quietly going about their business. Um, yeah. I, I This was a team I thought might struggle from, you know, second se- season syndrome as it were, but they're, they're trucking along just fine and, and no one seems to be noticing. <laughs> so uh, I think they've got Cullen next. So I, I would expect the, the streak to continue. Yeah. It, um, it's been a, a a good run for them certainly, and uh, and the Bundesliga shaping up, you know, kind of normally, but certainly post international break, anything anything could potentially happen. I guess <laughs> with, right uh, with you know not that many gaps in the table as of yet. Um, but another league that decided to go uh, a little bit crazy this weekend, maybe not as crazy as we've seen the past few weeks, but. As we venture over to La Liga uh, in Spain, the craziest result probably of the whole weekend um, and and the most unexpected, Valencia 4, Real Madrid 1 at the Mestea. Uh, I mean, <laughs> this game almost defies, like, description. <laughs> yeah, Valencia, I mean... 
they will love this result, obviously, because I mean, their their struggles are well documented. The asset stripping, the problems with the ownership. Um, yeah, I mean, to to beat uh, Real Madrid at home with a hat trick of penalties <laughs> and then an own goal is like. I don't think I don't know that this has ever happened before. I mean, someone, someone who's good with the La Liga history of the stats will have to correct me on that. But like, that's insane. So Carlos and Carlos Soler has taken five penalties in two games yeah. for Valencia. Like, <laughs> and and we thought that the Hetafe game couldn't be right. topped, <laughs> right? And then they go and do this the very yeah. next week at yeah. the Mestalla again. So uh, Los Chage is doing the absolute most, but I mean. Real Madrid, I, I mean, they just capitulated. Like, the back line, everyone in that back line had something to do with this terrible result. Marcelo with the poor clearance. Ramos and Vasquez. Vasquez, to be fair, not a right back, but filling in. Yeah. Um, both with handballs. And then Veron, who's been in, like, shocking form for a while now, scores an own goal. Yeah. So, just, like, straight, like, clownery at the back for Real Madrid. <laughs> and... um you know, I, I don't want to, s- I mean, I hate to single out any player, but I'm going to Marcelo just looks like a serious problem back there. Um, he's not, you know, in the nine games that Zidane has, has played him since coming back, they've lost everyone. And uh, he just, he never was like a fantastic defender, but like his, as, as he ages and his, you know, athletic abilities diminish it just becomes more and more apparent and i don't know that Ferlamendi just needs to probably take up that mantle sooner rather than later i don't know if he's out with injury or what but um and then of course vasquez he's just he's not a right back so yeah. <laughs> madrid are just kind of making do right now but yeah four one not great it's it, this is gonna sound extremely disrespectful and it kind of is but <laughs> I I see Real Madrid as a deeply unserious team this year. Like really, like they just they none of their players really strike me as like I think they can obviously dig deep. Like Benzema and Ramos and and company have shown that at times this season they can find that that deeper gear and that ability to to like really pull out a result. Um, but I think they also have the ability to just be a total clown show like they were this time out. Yeah. Like they have this kind of they I don't know it. And maybe it is like just certain players within the team because Benzema, in fairness to him, scores a lovely goal at the beginning yeah. of the game that seems to set the tone of, hey, we're just going to go out here and take care of business. Um, and honestly, once they go ahead there should be no issues dispatching this Valencia side. Like it's not, I don't know. Like I just, I don't know if they didn't take the occasion seriously or if there was something like uh, about this Valencia team that, that gave them fits, but I don't know. It just, it seems like such an easy thing to navigate once they take the lead. Um, And, and they just, yeah, like you said, I mean, there's a capitulation here and it is, it's, like Keystone cops in the way that it, that it all happens. Like <laughs> the Ramos handball is genuinely just like baffling, you know, and people are, I've seen some 
narratives out there that it's like just unlucky but to me i'm like no that looks cynical as hell like Like, (laughs) he looks like he's slapping the ball away like so and and it's ramos so like i'm not giving him the benefit of the doubt you know and i'm glad they caught it because it was to me it looked like it to me that looked like what the handball rule is for those kind of situations so lavasquez looked a little bit more unlucky to me if anything yeah but yeah no i I get what you mean about the (laughs) relative unseriousness of real madrid but (laughs) i mean to me it just sounds or it's shaping up to be one of those like florentino Perez gonna go off in the transfer market like sooner rather than later probably try and get mbappe into this side and just rejuvenate because i mean if benzema is carrying your team at this point like you know he's a fantastic player but yeah you got to regenerate at some point and and yeah. yeah there's just i don't know a lot of that a lot of that backlash is not good enough well speaking of regeneration barcelona uh faced betis this weekend 5-2 win for barca um this was an interesting one because i this for as much as barca kind of you know and certainly the scoreline suggests a certain amount of of kind of dominance from barca but a lot of this game and especially in the first half it didn't feel particularly solid from barca and and messi comes on at halftime certainly changes the game once he's once he's on the pitch um but does this scoreline, did you think this was a fair reflection of, of how this game kind of progressed or is Betty's like maybe a little unlucky to concede five? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that like three or four would have been fair, but like we got messied <laughs> as, as, as many aside often do. And I think we kind of can't gloss over the fact that he did start on the bench. There yeah. was a little bit of, consternation about that but ultimately it was that he had an ankle knock um right and and then had to come on and and he completely completely changed the game i mean griezmann was missing tons of chances like he he he's just not not working at barcelona and and messi comes on and that that dummy i call it an assist but he won't get anything for having done that that dummy yeah. Pass to Griezmann for an open goal is just fantastic. It's brilliant. Um it's and and Griezmann is the PK too. So, I mean like Messi really did save save the day for him. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's I mean we do score two goals. So Barca can get, you know, I say we like Real Betis score two goals. They can get, you know, they can get Barca can be got at basically is sure. what I'm trying to say. They also are sometimes a shambles at the back. Um, Sergio Roberto, like I, I, I don't think he he was he's been good. Like no. PK's had a couple of interesting ones. Um, Longley likes to clatter into people. Sometimes get sent off. So I mean, yeah, the, you can get at the side that we did. Uh, Sanabria scored a nice goal. Didn't celebrate because he came through La Masia and then and Loren Moron, who I think should be probably starting or at least. Um, getting more game time than he is but yeah i think it's i think five goals is kind of a lot i think that's just more messy came on and and completely <laughs> you know blew the doors off this one so and and it's never been like the happiest hunting ground for betis to go to camp now so yeah i i did enjoy the opener um from from usman um because i think <laughs> 
Usman Dembele is is one player, but Usman was Usman. showed up showed up showed up in this one because he just like um, one of the things that always struck me about Dembele when he was at well when he was at Dortmund primarily and and when he had that that season where he was healthy and I think he was he led the Bundesliga in assists and had double digit goals as well. Um, like Jaden Sancho type numbers uh, before he got his move to Barca. One of the things that always struck me was his two footedness and like mm. his ability to, to create and score with both feet. Um, and in this, in this one, he cuts onto his left and scores a lovely goal, uh, like absolute rocket <laughs> with his left foot. Um, and so his, his ability to just shift, uh, you know, from, from either foot, it just like, has always struck me as something that you know initially I thought this this will be the next like superstar of world football and I think his injuries have had a lot to say about you know his inability to reach those heights again um but that goal to me encapsulated like what he is capable of when sure. he's fit and he's and he's firing um but certainly the game itself turned as soon as Messi came onto the field and yeah Griezmann seemed to be buoyed by his presence obviously and is assisted <laughs> with the dummy Messi scores two goals himself Pedri adds that tap in um in the in the 90th minute all after as well Aisa Mondi is sent off for the handball on the line just yeah Kinda, that was I mean, terrible. That's yeah. like Ramos level too. Yeah. I mean, he, he throws his arm at the ball. It's just, yeah. But I mean, and this is maybe, maybe this is controversial as well, but so uh, I think there's been a lot of talk about Kuman at Barcelona and, and his impact and everything to me, Messi almost does more to coach this team through the game than Kuman does because he's <laughs> when he's on the field there's just this marked kind of difference in the way they play is that just he's that good in terms of influencing the game or is there like a level of kind of broader influence that Messi brings when he's on the field well it's I think it's I I tend to lean towards it's he's that good he's a freak like genuinely <laughs> the best player I've ever seen um probably will ever see um and you know he's getting up there in age he's 33 so maybe this is the maybe this is the way forward for 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 Leo to stay effective is to lessen his minutes um where he can come on and make such an influence obviously i know when you bring him on like this he's got less time in which to do so but he's also got more energy um so uh, yeah i like to think it's just he's fantastic and and transcends any <laughs> any one system or manager or, or teammates um well maybe not so much for argentina i think that that that's Anyway, um, but for, for Barcelona, um, yeah, he's just, I think he just can carry the team that way. And, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I also, too, I also too like to see him kind of in that withdrawn role now, less running, um, less hopefully getting kicked where he, you know, you get kicked a lot on the wings um, yeah. when you're trying to dribble past people. So if he can just stay 
kind of central and have all these fast attackers around him, you know, Griezmann, Dembele, Pedri, Trincao, um, and just aim for all of these targets, then then Barca should be in good shape. The, I mean, the top of the table teams, uh, aside from Madrid, uh, <laughs> I guess, uh, Real performing well, Atleti, the Crosstown Rivals, uh, taking care of business against Cadiz, uh, 4-0 win against a good Cadiz side who are sitting sixth in La Liga right now. Um, and uh, João Felix just seems to be like that bitch right now. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, no, he, he finally looks settled and happy and like he understands what his role is and what the expectations are at Atletico. I think a lot of people question the wisdom of, of moving for a, you know, dynamo attacking talent like him and for the price tag. And I think that probably got to him too last season, but now this season he looks like he's banging form and he scores a brace in this one. And it's like, I I said last time out when he did not score that he was getting chances that maybe he doesn't like, but then in this one he like scores a header. So yeah, <laughs> um, so you know maybe the kid can do it all. Um, and I think I think he's fantastic. Like I think he's going to be really one of the superstars of the game um, in the years to come. And, and then Luis Suarez and and uh, Llorente, I think add add goals too. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's it's nice to see Atletico still holding that clean sheet, but then scoring a lot too. And Cadiz really weren't offering a ton. And and a lot of the goals I think were self-inflicted pain, whether that was um, individual mistakes, one-on-one defending mistakes and, and the goalkeeper kind of going for balls, maybe that he shouldn't. Yeah. Um, Cadiz just, just didn't have a great time at the Wanda. So. Yeah. I think, I think Zhao Felix's second goal is a, a byproduct essentially of Cadiz like chasing um, the game and, and getting kind of caught. Um, So I think, I think this game is, you know, a three nil that, that got inflated ever so slightly um, by, by stretching to just chasing anything in the late, the late stages. Um, But it lets you just have that. uh, They still have that opportunistic feel to them. Um, but they're playing genuinely like attractive stuff and they have 68% of the ball and complete 764 passes in this game. So like, it's very un Simeone of, of them, um, in their approach. And they are now able maybe with these pieces that they've added with, with Jao Felix in there and, and Suarez and, um, you know, with some of maybe unlocking, uh, I guess, some of the talented players that they do have, like Saul and and Koke and and some of these like very technical players that we've known about for years, um, they are now playing a very different kind of style uh, to what we're used to, and and I think uh, the players in, you know, in in the red and white are are enjoying it. Yeah, definitely, and I think you know, given how crazy world football is just across the board. If Atleti want to go for a title, it should be this year's title. Maybe it will be fun to see an Atleti Real Sociedad like dog fight for the La Liga (laughs) title and just leave Barca and Real behind. I don't think that'll happen, but we can dream. Well, speaking of 
La Real, uh, Real Sociedad. Top of La Liga after nine matches played. Still a couple of games in hand for Atleti and a game in hand for Real. But Real Sociedad, 20 points from nine matches and a 2-0 win over Granada. Big asterisks on this one, though, because Granada hit hard uh, by by COVID and only only like seven first team players actually traveled to the game or something like it was technically an illegal 11 because they didn't (laughs) they subbed off one too many first team registered players yeah i think the rule in la liga is something like you have to have like five first team contracted players in the 11 at any given time and they had like made a substitution that made that not true. Um, yeah. <laughs> but they are they are dealing with a pretty bad COVID outbreak, and they had just come back from Cyprus, having traveled there for, for European competition, and they had brought a big squad to that match right? and then had planned to go straight to San Sebastian. And, yeah, they just – it's it's terrible. And I think they wanted La Liga to kind of give them a break, and they said, no, I mean, you have enough players you're going to play. And so they brought up a bunch of people from the B team, a bunch of people made their debuts or like their second appearance for the club, bunch of kids on the bench, a uh, striker in midfield, a winger at fullback, like total farce. Um, and it almost like, <laughs> I almost wonder like, would they have been better off like not traveling and taking like a three nil? Cause they still lost two nil. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but yeah, now I feel, I feel a little bit bad for Granada cause it was just farcical for them. Um, but I mean, we also see that, you know, they continue to cruise Mikel Orizaba. I think he's Pichichi right now with, with six goals. And so he's playing very well indeed. Um, one of those players that I think uh, a city or someone is going to come and pluck from Sociedad at some point, maybe even around Madrid, but um, yeah, they're, they're playing very well. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's obviously cool to see a team that's not from the kind of established order of, of top teams in Spain occupying that top, that top spot, but the manner in which they've done it has been really impressive too. And they've, you know, I think in this one, there is almost an element of, like it, it felt like they kind of let up uh, on Granada in terms of like this could have been much worse. Yeah. Um, it seems like they kind of got the goals in, in in quick succession, and then it's like okay, let's just kind of see this out um, and not yeah. embarrass them too much because they kind of understand the the uh, expectation. Le Normand actually sent off, and and Sociedad finishes one. <laughs> down to Jesus. 10 um which is is a little strange uh just all things considered but in the attack i mean david silva we've talked about in midfield kind of like taking things over for for sociedad and then or or as you mentioned and william jose like it's just been a like really kind of you know it hasn't it hasn't been this kind of like shit housing their way to to points they've they've been playing like attractive no, stuff and, and beating they teams. Play good stuff. Yeah. yeah. They play good stuff and, and they, they buy really well too, especially when it comes to the players and that are uh, older. I mean, shout out Arsenal legend, Nacho Monreal scoring in this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Sociedad are really good at buying from buying older and buying from the Premier League because they've got Monreal, they've got David Silva, they have Mikel Marino, mm-hmm. um, a lot of, and then of course supplementing um, a lot with their maybe supplementing is not the right word, but you know a lot of graduates um, from that that academy, a really good academy too. I know Athletic gets a lot of the attention in the Basque Country, but Real Sociedad they they you know, bring up a lot of talents as well. So I just like the way that they build their squad and, and the way that they play. Um, It's, it's cool. And I like watching their games on TV now too, because they used to have this running track at Anoeta and they took it out finally. And now the, the stands are closer, much closer to the pitch. So it's, unfortunately no fans right now but when there are fans the the atmosphere is, is much better and it's it's one of those grounds i would love to go to and i hear san sebastian is just like a, a fantastic place good food and and yeah real so yeah they're they're flying right now the uh another notable result in la liga before we uh before we move on via real beat hatafe 3-1 and Villarreal actually occupy second. <laughs> Unai Emery's <laughs> team right there behind Sociedad, two points uh, back from the Basque leaders. Yeah, Villarreal, man. The, the Yellow Submarine, they have a lot of good players. I mean, they took Valencia's like whole midfield. Um, they've got Paco Alcacer and Gerard Moreno like leading the line together, scoring a ton of goals. And Unai Emery is, you know, back in his native country and and getting his message across in a way that he just couldn't do at Arsenal and at Spartak and other places abroad, PSG. Um, so, yeah, happy for Unai. Let's see, you know, let's see if it continues. Villarreal or, you know, they they, I think it's been a little bit since they've been in Europe. So it'll be interesting to see what what they can do with with this form if they can continue it. Uh, just to go back to Sociedad really quickly, one thing I, I've failed to mention as I talk about stylistically, they're good. Nine matches played, 20 goals for, four goals against. Like Mental. They've been insane. <laughs> <laughs> and that's with having lost Diego Llorente to Leeds. Yeah. Um, yeah. So who, who is playing for him now? Aritzado Stando, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's really it's really really impressive. And Alex Romero is a very good goalkeeper, someone that I think maybe will get a shout for Spain. Um, I mean, I'd pick him over Aritha Balaga right now, to be honest. So uh, I think that's got a lot to do with it. But yeah, that's a really good observation. Um, plenty more to talk about, Mika, um, as we uh we'll we'll head to the Premier League next, then Liga Un and and we've got more to talk about. So uh what do you say we could take a quick break and then get back to talk about England? Sounds good. Welcome back to Hardcore Football. Mika, we're off to the Premier League now. And the big the big conversation this weekend was around fixture arrangements and broadcasters and timing of matches and all of these things. Um, the first one on the docket being Manchester United traveling to Goodison um, to face Everton on Saturday having played in the Champions League on Wednesday. Um, 
and traveling for it as well. So traveling to Istanbul. <laughs> um, so this is, there was a lot of discussion this weekend. United, obviously no worse for wear three, three, one win over Everton, but Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer, not happy with the arrangement of the fixture. Um, and, and this quick kind of like the travel not being supported, um, in terms of the amount of time off, and getting that early twelve thirty kickoff at Goodison on on Saturday, um, what did you make of the of, of all this kind of discussion this weekend? Yeah, I mean, it's not ideal, obviously, but at the same time, that's fo- you know, I mean, that's football. You know, that's modern football. The TV broadcasters dictate the schedule. It is what it is. They're the ones that are lining your pockets, so you can go and and spend gigantically in the transfer market, so that you've got. <laughs> gigantic rosters and you should rotate. I mean, I, I, you know, you're Manchester United manager, that's your job. Um, and, and, you know, I'm picking on all that here, but that goes for everyone um, because Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola after their fixture, they also kind of complained about it. And it's like, you know, and got into kind of like the five versus three sub rule. And it's, you know, for me, I, I, maybe I'm a bit cynical, but I just don't have a lot of time for these complaints. Cause it's like, you wouldn't rotate your squad anyway is how I feel. There's sure. players out there that are getting played into the ground when they could be rotated, but they don't. So yeah, the schedule's not great, but you, you know, you could do something about that if you wanted to and you don't, you being the managers. Sure. Um, I mean, as far as this game goes, um, the, we've had a couple of listeners who are United fans clamor for, for praise about United and, in this one, um, Bruno Fernandes, like, back on form, we he'd been maybe stuttering over the last few weeks, not quite at the level that, that uh, United fans had come to expect of him, but right back into it with this one and, and with a brace as well. Yeah, I really like um, United's four two three one that allows Bruno to just kind of roam in that, that hole, that number, you know, traditional number 10 role uh space i guess you could say um where he doesn't have you know a paul pogba just right right you know on his shoulder maybe encroaching on some of those spaces that he wants to be occupying and you've got fred and mctominay just kind of shielding and, and creating that that uh block um in front of the the defensive line so i thought that the, the tactics were much better this game around than they were against arsenal last week um and and uh yeah i mean everton they haven't won since since the merseyside derby um and i think you would say phil that karma's a bitch and um it it continues here and uh also the goals have dried up a little bit for calvert lewin um yeah scored like eight goals already so he's still eight for eight but uh yeah i think since the merseyside derby as well he hasn't hasn't gotten on the score sheet so everton are just you know in a bit of a rough patch and um yeah, they were they were at Goodison too for this one, so not a great look for them. Everton looked like the ones who had flown to Istanbul like a couple days <laughs> right. prior. Like they yes. they just never looked at it. Like watching this game, they they just I don't know. And even watching, you know, you mentioned Calvert Lewin, like the goals have dried up, but it just looks like his confidence. Like there's something going on where there was one passage of play or one little one little moment where 
he received the ball like out towards the touchline and he had a little bit of space to like take the ball down and, and do something with it. And I don't know if he just got like distracted or, or was kind of like thinking ahead of himself or whatever, but he completely like he, he, he just, it's just a bad touch. Like the first touch isn't good when he tries to bring the ball down. And then like his second touch, he just boots it like, out of play. Um, and, and it was just one of those moments where I'm like, this is not what we've seen from him like so far. And I don't know if it's just maybe like the amount of games that he's playing. Maybe he's a little bit like not accustomed to like this pace of the season. Um, and you know, he's featured for England as well. So there's been a lot of things happening for him. Um, which is obviously great for his confidence in terms of, you know, he's been scoring international goals and, and all of these things. But, um, but I just wonder if like, maybe it's all kind of catching up with him. Uh, and like, he's, he's almost realizing what's happening and maybe thinking too much about it. Um, whereas he was kind of acting more on instinct at the beginning of the season, um, but Everton in this one, in fairness, were, were totally poor. Um, and I don't think that there were a lot of kind of like redeeming or, or really like quality opportunities created for Calvert-Lewin. Um, and he is, you know, the type of forward that just thrives off of, off of the service. Meanwhile, Bruno Fernandes is like storming into the area and just completely unmarked, um, to get on the end of crosses. So, uh, <laughs> I just... I think the concerns as far as Everton like remain um, because I think these sorts of games are always possible, um, especially when their defense is as suspect as as Everton's is. And I think like we spoke about this at the beginning of the season, they're going to have these sorts of breakdowns, um, you know, throughout the season because they don't have a very good goalkeeper and they also like center but at center back it's just questionable like zuma and keen as a partnership is not is not uh the finish the finished product but but united were good and and they kind of exert you know they they asserted themselves in this one i think they like actually you know as you said the the formation suited them the tactics worked um and kind of nullified whatever everton was trying to do um, and it allowed Bruno Fernandes like the freedom to be able to to kind of express himself in this one. And credit to him, he scores a brace and no penalties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's amazing, right? I think you meant either Holgate or Mina, right? You said Zuma. Zuma's back at Chelsea, right? Oh my bad. Or am I? <laughs> yeah, my bad. Uh, he's a, and he's actually been okay. Yeah, he's but, been uh, fine next to Tiago, <laughs> next to Thiago Silva. My bad. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's all good. Um, yeah, I mean, defensively, I think this too, this game and some of the recent results for Everton are where you kind of see the downside, dare I say, to Thomas Rodriguez, and, and that is that he will not track back. Like, he, yeah. whether he wants to or not, he just doesn't have the pace for it or the stamina. And you see that here where Seamus Coleman is just being run ragged by Luke Shaw or, or Anthony Martial, whoever is down that side. And one of the goals does actually come from his flank, not closing down Luke Shaw quickly enough or closely enough to, to prevent the cross. And so, and, and Hamas isn't even in the picture uh, and, and eventually he does come off at 80 minutes. So I think too, that's kind of the, the 
downside to what I what I consider a luxury player um, uh, in Hamas. I love Hamas. I think he's very talented, but he's very much in that kind of mesodosal mode, uh, like mold of like you know this is the cherry on top of a good team. Um, um, so so yeah, you you saw a little bit of that there. Um, and yeah, it's just, that's three or what is it? Three now on the bounce losses for Everton. So, um, Ancelotti has got to come up with an an answer. Yeah. Um, Everton down to seventh, having been, having been top, um, just a few games ago and Manchester United up to 14th, uh, with that, with that win. (laughs) So no, I mean, it's obviously very early in the season, but it is, the table looks extremely odd um, when you when you glance at it now. Aren't all the like Uniteds in a like pack at the bottom down there? <laughs> like Leeds, <laughs> Manchester United, <Yeah>. Newcastle, Newcastle, <laughs> Manchester United, Leeds United, thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth. <laughs> and West I think Ham, West Ham United yeah, yeah, are so there 12, too. Yeah, twelfth through fifteenth are all Uniteds. West Ham, Jesus Newcastle, Christ. Manchester, Leeds. So yeah, <laughs> that's so weird. <laughs> um, so yeah, not and then obviously Sheffield United, uh, poor poor Sheffield United um, down at down in the the very the very doldrums of the table, but um, at well, you know, uh, I guess the clash of of the the two contenders over the last few seasons, it's been Liverpool and Manchester City battling for the Premier League title um, over the last couple of seasons, trading blows. Um, and this match uh, played out at the Etihad, 1-1, City and Liverpool both draw. They uh, draw. City... Um, had the chance to win it uh, with Kevin De Bruyne uh, from the penalty spot and uncharacteristic miss from from the Belgian and um, a, a kind of a strange game in that it the first half was extremely open attacking both teams very kind of at it second half a little bit a little bit more dull and uh, yeah. and and seemed like both teams just kind of maybe tired from the intensity of the occasion in the first half. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what I have here. Exciting first half. And then the two teams cancel each other out. Um, Kyle Walker, he's been in good form, but that's, that's a rash challenge. I think on Sadio Mane for the, (laughs) for Liverpool's eventual penalty and opener for Salah. Um, And then, like you said, on the other, at the other end, on the other half, shocking miss from Kevin De Bruyne. He looked like he didn't believe it. Like when he turned yeah. around, he was like almost <laughs> like he was looking for answers from his teammates. It's like, no, bro, that was all you. Yeah. <laughs> Despite that, he had like a really good game, like a classic right. Kevin De Bruyne performance, just whipping the ball around like the defensive line and yeah. setting Gabby Jesus up for his, his goal. And the only goal for city event, you know, at the end of the day, um, he, I thought he was great other than that one moment. So yeah, just one of those, one of those games were too, you know, unstoppable force, a movable object you would think and it ends up being kind of dull at the end yeah. of the day. So, yeah, I, I think, I think there's a few factors in this one. I mean, so like you said, De Bruyne, De Bruyne sets up city city's goal. And, and the, I think it's the tale of it. I mean, 
really both of these goals. It's a tale of two turns and it's Mane's turn against Walker sells him completely. Like he's, he's toast. Uh, once Mane goes past him, um, it's a brilliant turn and, and Walker does follow him in it. And I, I know there was some discussion about Jota at the other end, like in the buildup, but like almost a full minute of football occurs between these incidents. So I, I'm not having the whole like, oh, like he was fouled because I mean, <laughs> it, there was so there's so much time has elapsed since then. Um, right. Like, it's not like he was fouled and we went straight down the other end and scored like, you know, anyways. Um, but Jesus's turn in the box for the goal is brilliant. I don't think he means the touch. I think it comes off his heel and he's a little bit lucky and, and is the first to react. Um, but it is a brilliant turn in the end because it leads to the goal and it's a good finish uh, low past Allison as well. Um, I think a lot of the discussion around city has been around their kind of lack of a nine and their inability to really, you know, have that kind of cutting edge because they played Sterling up top and he's not really designed for that. He's not, you know, it's not the type of player that he is. Um, and so I think the impact of Jesus was felt immediately. Um, the one thing I'll say about the second half is that Liverpool, for all of the conversation about Roberto Firmino and his lack of goal scoring kind of in recent in recent weeks and this whole Firmino versus Jota, like, oh, you know, Jota deserves to start, all this stuff. Well, Klopp goes with all four attacking options in terms of, you know, Firmino, Salah, Mane, and Jota all start. Um, and I think one of the things that was very interesting about this game is that the moment that Firmino was withdrawn um, and he comes off uh, and uh, Shakiri I think, comes on in his place, they were markedly worse um, in possession than they were when Firmino was on the field. And I think it just highlights what what Firmino brings. And in this particular game, because there have been games where he's been off the boil, hasn't been particularly good, not sharp, like not maintaining possession. But in this one, I thought it was absolutely brilliant um, in possession. And as soon as he came off, the we weren't really holding onto the ball. We weren't progressing the ball that well, um, like into city's half. And, and so it was just completely like kind of disjointed once, once Bobby came off. And so I think ultimately the, the odd thing about this is that, you know, for all the discussion around Firmino and what he brings, it was most obvious in a game of this kind of high caliber, um, and high intensity, uh, when he is not present. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on the note of Liverpool, Trent Alexander-Arnold, he comes off with injury, am I right? Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, looking like four weeks uh, is is what the estimate is right now. So who... <laughs> the, defend, the defensive line is getting real slim at, uh, <laughs> uh, at Anfield. Who kind of slots in there? So the right back... I mean, right now, the the... Backup right back is is Nico Williams, uh, the Welsh international uh, who's come up through Liverpool's academy. So 
Um, he's he's played towards the back end of last season, and then uh, you know in the cups and stuff he he's featured. But yeah, another young kid, uh, promising, but certainly not of the the caliber of of Trent. But um, uh-huh. but yeah, he's uh, he's gonna get <laughs> he's gonna get a shot here. Uh, and I mean, I guess you know because of the center back depth, I think it I think it's even more likely that we see the the kids um because we have seen joe gomez uh deputize at right back right but we don't have other center backs so um yeah we've already uh seen with the matip uh you know unavailability and stuff we've seen reese williams who is 17 years old uh coming up through the academy was on loan at Kidderminster Harriers in the National Jeez. League last year. So he's started a couple Champions League games now um, and and performed quite well, in fairness to the kid. But but yeah, I think we're just going to see uh, more youth utilized. Crazy. I, I think that uh, Liverpool really are ruining not uh, replacing Dan Lovren. I thought that, I thought that was a weird like non-move even before all all of the injuries just kind of like at the start of the season it was weird to see him go and not get directly replaced but i'm sure they'll find a way yeah it's been interesting because i think i think it seemed like that was a move that was going to happen like um kabak from from schalke was discussed um there were a couple of kind of names floating around um I think ultimately they chose not to pull the trigger because of maybe the finances around the Jota deal. I'm not really sure. Uh, maybe they prioritized Diogo over um, over a, a center back replacement. And maybe, you know, I, like I said, I, I don't know. The Reese Williams has looked extremely good. He looks like a Virgil van Dyke regen um, who's about to like, <laughs> he needs to just hit the weight room a little bit to, to reach the, uh, Verge's levels, but um, but no. Oh my he, gosh, uh, he does. Yeah. this is really strange. <laughs> he really does. That's so weird. Maybe maybe he's maybe he's the heir to the throne. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, it'll be interesting for Liverpool certainly to kind of navigate this um, this this whole period, and especially with the injuries, and certainly Klopp and and Pep both kind of voice their displeasure about um about the fixtures and i thought it was really interesting because they both had the same talking point which was gareth southgate will be without trent alexander arnold this international break so that's why we need five subs i mean do you again i just don't buy this like you can rotate (laughs) you know yeah everyone deals with this stuff. I, I mean, again, it, I know it's more pronounced because of COVID and what have you, and the, the calendar is a bit more constricted than it usually is, but it's like you wouldn't rotate otherwise. So I just don't yeah. like you're, you even see it. You even see it in the leagues that have five subs. <laughs> They're still trotting out the Messi's and the Ronaldo's of the world, despite <laughs> having these, these options, you know, for yeah. more rotation. So it's just, for me, it's like, maybe they're just trying to, you know, deflect a little bit of attention away from uh, whatever it is, but yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. The, uh, a couple of big results, uh, at the top of the table though, 
uh, Tottenham and Leicester City, second and first, respectively, and uh, both eking out uh, 1-0 wins this weekend. Kind of different in the way they went about them. Leicester, an early lead that they held on to against Wolves, and Tottenham grabbing a late winner at the Hawthorns. Um, But these two teams, traditionally not the one nil type of teams, um, (laughs) even with Mourinho at the helm of Spurs. And uh, they're able to, to get these results. Do you see Leicester and Tottenham hanging around in these upper reaches? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I see them definitely battling for Europe for sure. Um, I was a little disappointed with Spurs. I thought that it would be a little bit more explosive. I mean, you're playing West Brom, and I think they had started Bale, Son, and Kane all together for the first time, and it was just stolen goal, Harry Kane nicking it. So, um, And then Leicester, I mean, they're just well-coached and have a lot of good players, and they've, they've dealt with injuries very well too, especially in the defensive part of things. So, yeah, I mean, I see them hanging out, out you know, up towards – the Champions League places, but I think the title very much is still going to be Liverpool or City. Um, I don't even even Chelsea. I don't see them necessarily challenging seriously this year, but who knows? I might be looking like a total fool come summer. <laughs> yeah, I just I I don't know. I think I, I I think Leicester obviously you know long way to go in the season. So. Brendan Rodgers has plenty of time to just absolutely bottle this and, and like, <laughs> <laughs> like he did last season. Um, Spurs Spurs are a little confusing uh, to me. And like you said, I think there's an element where obviously they're an extremely talented team. They're like, they have all of these pieces. There's been a lot of talk about Mourinho being there, but yeah, like a one nil win away at West Brom. Like I know everybody is like having to put in shifts to be able to like kind of navigate the season. And there's all these weird results that are happening. So maybe a one nil away at West Brom is good. I don't know, but it just feels like I've, I haven't seen anything from Spurs in terms of like control of a game or like complete kind of dominance aside from that United result at Old Trafford, like they haven't had a game that is like kind of that paradigm shifting of like, Oh, we're for real now. Um, It it just, I'm just not getting that from Tottenham yet. It just all feels like kind of haphazard at the moment right now. And obviously things could change dramatically as Bale settles into the team more. I think Regulon's been an, obviously an amazing addition. Um, and uh, and just like has added a lot of quality uh, to that side, but it, I don't know. I'm just like I'm just not convinced by Spurs yet. Um, and and Leicester, I see more as like they're just kind of handling the situation um, that's been presented to them. Um, Spurs, it just seems like they should be better than they than they are. I don't know. And both clubs are very much reliant on their English striker um, staying fit. (laughs) So I think that's another question too for, for, for both of them is Ken. And I think it's probably more, more of a question for Harry Kane, because we know that he, he has a couple long layoffs a season. It feels like Vardy's managed to somehow get faster with age. Um, I don't know how that works, but yeah. Um, yeah, I think we just need to see a little bit, a little bit more from both these sides, and 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 see. 
Well, off the back of a good result last weekend, Arsenal faced Aston Villa this weekend. And I mean, what did you make as, you know, as an Arsenal fan? I know we've been going at your clubs this <laughs> this episode. <laughs> it wasn't um, a good weekend. No, it was it was kind of a kind of a I don't know, snake eyes this weekend, but uh <laughs> but the yeah, Arsenal lose to Villa and there's been a lot of kind of, you know, noise, I guess, like internet wise uh, about this Arsenal performance. What did you make of it? You know, it's it's funny how the the idea of this Arsenal side, I think, in the like collective consciousness of Arsenal fans has changed because for me, this and for a lot of our, our fans, this is a weird, like rare, poor defensive performance from a Mikel Arteta side, whereas we were kind of used to that with an Arsene Wenger and and (laughs) certainly the latter stages of Unai Emery's reign. Um, So, I mean, we came up with the same lineup and shape that we played at Old Trafford, which I thought that, number one, that was strange because these are two very different fixtures. Away at Old Trafford and hosting Aston Villa at home, like to go with the same kind of setup and personnel I thought was strange. I mean, I we criticized Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for doing that, where he trotted out the diamond after seeing that it, whoa, it worked in the Champions League. Let me play get that same exact way against a totally different side. Mikel seemed to do that here. I don't think because he has that same kind of tactical naivete, I think he just doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't want to let go, I think, of control and kind of take the handbrake off on these players. So he picks, you know, party. El Nani players he knows will kind of like hold down the fort. And, you know, not only did we, I mean, we were caught cold with that first goal that I'm still not quite sure why John McGinn's opener got chalked off. I mean, I guess Leno was like his sight was impeded. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> but either way, that was just a bad that. And then Kieran Tierney, like almost falling over on himself. Those two things were like, okay, it's going to be one of those days <laughs> for Arsenal. So yeah, a rare defensive um, defensive display that was really poor. And then, you know, the creativity issues, they, they continue on and Lacazette and William just don't belong anywhere near the first, you know, the, the, the 11, the starting 11, in my opinion. Yeah, I think um I I think this played into Aston Villa's hand um and I think we've seen, you know, obviously Liverpool were on the end of a of an absolute hiding <laughs> by by Villa in similar circumstances I think um in in terms of just the uh their ability to to get at teams um and and counter well they're they're built for like this sort of game. It feels uh, it feels like, and they. I just want to to highlight my boy Ollie Watkins. Another brace. He seems like the man for the big game because obviously he's he's played seven, scored six, um, but the <laughs> five of them have come in two games: a hat trick against Liverpool and then a brace here. So he is not necessarily like consistently scoring, you know, each game, but he always seems to be in the right place at the right time. And his couple of finishes here were very high quality as well. 
um, against Arsenal. So it's always nice to see like a, a player like that able to make that jump from the championship and and kind of like adapt to life in the Premier League quickly. Um, and we'll see, you know, if he can carry that on across the the course of the whole season. But it, but it is always nice to see um, someone, you know, they took a chance on him, obviously, and for the price tag. <laughs> We spoke about it um, right. preseason. It's it it was it it's a risk, um, but it's one that seems to be paying dividends, especially in these big games. Yeah, he w- he was excellent. Um, finishing the strength, some of the holdup play was exquisite. Um, and I mean, Villa just they just played with a freedom that that Arsenal seems like they're not allowed to have at the moment. And I think that, uh, you know, given this, this uh, international break, this two weeks, it might give, it might be the perfect thing for Mikel Arteta is to just really like think about this and, and try to solve these issues that we have, because I mean, it's not sustainable the way that we played against United. That's how we should play against those big sides. We should not have played that same way against Esta Villa. And um, <laughs> it's just not, you know, trying to nick it and and just stay compact is not not the way that a you know big club like Arsenal should be playing, or and it's not sustainable. So, right, um, bad day at the office. Aston Villa taking some big scalps, and you know, Emmy Martinez comes back to the Emirates and had like nothing to do. So yeah. it was just <laughs> all types of like strange. <laughs> um. So the meme of this weekend uh, generated the last the last uh, talking point here and a question from Renee uh, at Renee in El Paso. If you're Scott Parker at Fulham, do you let Adamola Lukman uh, take the next penalty to redeem himself or do you no longer trust him to take a penalty kick or does he let the score dictate the decision? I mean, Lukman gets caught in between going for Panenka and stopping taking the penalty, I guess uh, it it's so poor, but I mean, do you trust the guy to go out there again or do you just take him off pens for a while? Listen, I'm going to say first, before I tear this man shreds, Adam Lukman is a very talented player. You can definitely see there's a player there. I think he's going to become very good for Fulham or, or RB Leipzig when he goes back. Um, that being said, why are you trying a Penenko when you're Fulham football club and you desperately need this point? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you are in and around the, the relegation spaces and I think they will be for the rest of the season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously if, if the Penenko comes off, then you look, you know, ice cold and if it doesn't you look like a clown yeah which is what he looked like here <laughs> and um yeah if i'm scott Barger, i don't trust him anymore because there's a time and a place for these cheeky kind of things um f- provided that you have the ability obviously to right. e- execute them now i don't know if adam Lookman is a you know a proven penalty taker or what have you but yeah i just wouldn't trust him for the time being i yeah. mean that's poor decision making when you really needed Fulham really needed the point. Yeah, and I think I think with the game on the line, a chance to equalize, the only decision, unless you have like some of these kind of unique approaches to penalties, whether it's kind of this whatever the stutter step or or anything like that. If you have like your established approach, that's fine, I guess. But if I'm Automolo Lookman, I'm I'm walking up to the ball, like I'm putting it down. 
already having picked my spot. And I'm going to like put my foot through the ball. <laughs> and I'm I'm not going to leave any doubt as to like mm, what am I going to do? Like which way am I going to go? I'm picking a spot and I'm just going to hammer it. Like because I need you need that goal. Like they they desperately need that goal. And imagine, I mean, I'm just thinking about the nightmare scenario of Fulham being relegated by one point. <laughs> oh my God. I don't think anyone at Craving Cottage could take that. Like, there, like is, the- there, there are so many moments across the course of a season where you could point to and say, oh, like we could have done this. Butterfly we done effect. That. Not in, in this case, like that costs the team a point. Like it there, did. It, it was did. basically the last kick of the game. Like there is. Oh yeah, no, it was. Yeah. It, so it's just it's just one of those moments that like if Fulham are relegated, they will look back on that moment and just say like what could have been. It's it's absolutely shocking. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's yeah, not great. And and you know the the saddest part I think about the Panenka attempt is that it's so bad that the keeper has time to dive and get back up and swat it away. Like, uh. <laughs> Fabianski had all the time in the world to do that. Like, he literally dove and was like, oh, wait, hold on. The ball is, like, coming to my left paw. Like, <laughs> the amount bad. of secondhand embarrassment that I felt Cringe on his humor. behalf, yeah. like, was... I will never forgive him. <laughs> That's how I felt bad about. Yeah, how... I hate that. Yeah, like it's like when you watch somebody fall in public. Like you're just like, <laughs> oh my god, you like want to die for like, that person. I feel, yeah, I feel bad for you. Uh, yeah, but now I'm mad. I resent you for making me feel like this. Exactly. So that... <laughs> <laughs> um. So, yeah, I don't think we see Ademola Lookman take another penalty uh, for Fulham, unfortunately. Um, As we move on, I guess, from the Premier League, um, we we move on to France, Ligue 1. A big weekend and kind of a couple of noteworthy results, a couple of derbies that went that that went on as well. Um, the first big game of the weekend, PSG versus Stade Rene. Um, this was the matchup between the top two teams in the table. They, well, they were the top two teams, I guess. Um, and uh, Ren unable to exert any influence over the champions. PSG 3-0 winners, despite the fact that Ren were at times... The better team. Yeah, both sides were missing key players. Stavane, I was like so excited for this game. Wanted to watch Eduardo Camavinga only to find out he was injured. So I felt like yeah. an idiot. <laughs> um, and then uh, PSG missing obviously Neymar and Mbappe with their with their separate uh, injury issues. Um, but yeah, no Stavane, they were okay for some of the, some of the um, some sequences of play. Some. Uh, passing sequences or what have you but ultimately i think the quality won out on the day and angel di maria like totally unplayable yeah totally unplayable like he he just took over for for 
you know, in the absence of Neymar and Mbappe had almost scored like a screamer half volley like from the left. Um, and then he does score like an outrageous chip. Yeah. Um, totally puts the keeper on his ass. And uh, and then Moise Ken, he also scored. And he's got three goals, I think, for PSG since, since coming into the side. And I kind of like poked fun at the loan. <laughs> but I mean, he's he's really good. And, and Leonardo, PSG's sporting director, um, spoke this week about how he's working on, on Neymar, Mbappe, and Di Maria's contracts. And he said, unfortunately, we don't have a buy option in, in Moise Ken's uh, contract. So he, he will be going back to Everton. And PSG seem like they're pretty disappointed about that. So uh, fair play to the Italian. Well, I mean, he's a massive upgrade on Chupamoteng. <laughs> So, no, I Fair. no, I, I I think I mean it's actually great to see Moise Ken like have this sort of ability to to be in a place where he's comfortable to to score some goals to get his feet under him a little bit because he's a super promising player. Um, and those, I mean, when he kind of exploded on the scene at Juve, he was like seen as one of the like next big things in Europe, and and so you always hate to see a guy with that amount of promise, like flame out. Um, right. And his career was in danger of doing that. And I mean, when he went to Everton, it wasn't, I don't think it was a good move for either party. Um, but now that he's at PSG and, and able to, to build some confidence and stuff, we'll see what, we'll see what happens in the future. And obviously um, maybe, maybe he can, get under Ancelotti's good graces um, and <laughs> get back into this Everton team, I guess, which is so odd to say about a player playing for PSG. Um, <laughs> but yeah, as you said, Di Maria, just unbelievable. Um, and yeah, could have, could have probably had a hat trick by himself. Um, but the, uh, the question marks, I or I guess like the frustrating thing about this PSG side. And I mean, frustrating from like a neutral perspective coming into this game, like, Oh, maybe Ren can get something like maybe Stad Rene can, can come away with the result is PSG. Don't have to be that good to come away with a three nil. Like they have yeah. so much individual quality that they can just kind of overcome. Like despite the fact that Ren like create more chances than them, outpossess them like you know outshoot them all of these things like it doesn't really matter like that's that's like the disappointing thing like PSG only have nine shots but yeah but they you know the people shooting are so good that it doesn't really matter that they only have nine shots um well, and well and on on Di Maria's second Ren just stopped playing they, yeah, they that too. stopped playing thinking that they were going to get the foul because Marquinhos was, was battling for the ball and they just stopped playing and Di Maria is able to just kind of go on through and score. So yeah. some self-inflicted pain a little bit there as well. Um, but, but yeah, ultimately it is a little disheartening to see PSG kind of never get out of second gear really and, and come away with it. You know, what looks on paper like a, a, a stomping, but it yeah. was closer than, than, the numbers show, I guess. One, I think, I mean, I think you can see the fact that PSG are not getting out of second gear. And obviously the unavailability of, of some key players are, you know, has played a role in this, but their form in Europe is quite poor. <laughs> so, I mean, right. you know, they, 
they lose to United. They beat Bishakshi here, but then they lose to RB Leipzig. So it's, you know, um, they, it is mixed results um, in Europe. And I think maybe, you know, it's kind of the, the eternal conversation around PSG is, you know, are they challenged enough domestically to be able to like actually, um, challenge in Europe, um, themselves, but, uh, or get over the hump in Europe, I guess, um, having reached the final last year. Um, but they are able to, to see off Stad Rene, um, in this one and the closest challengers in the league, um, lost Lille, um, took on Stade Brestois and uh, Brest able to the, the Brittany club. Um, not a lot of names around, around them or anything like that, but they come away with a three, two win and it's Lille's first defeat of the season, actually. Yeah. Against the side that are in and around, I think the bottom of the table, if I'm not mistaken, they do have Ronaldo. Pierre Gabriel, I think is his name. Yeah. Who's a Mainz, Mainz talent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Lille's first defeat of the season. It couldn't last forever. It's just weird that it comes against Brest. Yeah. But um, <laughs> Lille looked very leggy, very leggy. They just really, they started poorly, um, especially in defense. I think Brest were the first, you know, they were first every loose ball in the first half. It really felt like um, Lille were better in the second half. Yilmaz scores two i think if i'm not mistaken yep. um ultimately it's not enough uh but yeah just it, i think it reminded me of gladbach a little bit how they play just leggy just yeah. not at it on the road um not feeling it and uh yeah good you know good on Sabrastoa, but hopefully leo can put it right <laughs> in their next one because just not a great not a great uh day out on the road for them yeah, Lille, I mean, in fairness to Lille, they went to Milan and won 3 0 <laughs> in the like week. Like, literally, exactly <laughs> like what Glavak did just go on the road, take care of business, come home, and yeah. go on the road again. And, and you can't keep that same energy level. Exactly. Yeah. And it it was like watching, watching just the highlights back. Um, but first half, breast completely all over Lille. Yeah. Second half, Lille came out. And looked like okay, they finally had kind of gotten their their legs underneath them. And in fairness, Yilmaz could had could have had like five goals in this one, um, yeah. and hits the post uh, with what could have been the equalizer uh, laid on as well. So yeah, Lil, I think ultimately probably deserved something from this game. But credit to to Brest for getting for getting the result and for taking advantage of, of Lille's legs in that first half and, and actually getting out to that three nil lead because they needed every, every bit of it to come away with the three points. And they do climb all the way up to 13th in the table as well. And kind of out of the, the, you know, relegation mire, um, because everything is very tightly packed in Lagoon right now. Um, you know, second and, Ninth are separated by three points, and then oh my god, uh, thirteenth <laughs> or sorry, twelfth and sixteenth are separated by three points. So yeah, I mean, wow. there's there's a, a lot, lot of, of teams just all packed in, 
um, in different areas of the, of the table, but yeah, Bress, I mean, and, and Pierre Gabriel in fairness, um, and Roman Perraud as well. Perraud assists Gabri- Pierre Gabriel's opener and then scores himself. So the fullbacks um, <laughs> assisting each other and, and getting in on the scoring act. So um, yeah, it was a, a a good result for them certainly. And and Lille first defeat of the season. Um, but the the action, the real action this weekend in terms of the big clubs playing. Um, was first the Derby de la Côte d'Azur uh, or the French Riviera Derby, which like pains me. Like, okay, Mika, do you think that there's maybe, I don't know if you feel this, but the French Riviera is such a horrible name for something with a name as graceful as Côte de la, <laughs> like Côte d'Azur. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't translate well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, anyways. And, so, and then plus it sounds more like presumptuous than like any football derby should. <laughs> but yeah, no, I get you. Monaco, the two one winners um, in, in that one over Nice. And this one a little bit strange in that I think and Nice has been a little bit like this all season. Um, Monaco certainly good value for the win, but the winner ultimately from Sofiane Diop comes from a complete howler by Nice at the back giveaway, like soft giveaway. And then, you know, Diop's through on goal and, and scores Nice just have that kind of vibe around them this season where they just like, they're obviously a very talented team, but they just don't feel very sharp in a lot of moments. Yeah, and it makes you wonder what, I guess, how far Patrick Vieira can really take this side. Um, because I think this might have been an issue last season as well in terms of the defending and the focus and tactical nous, I guess you could say. Um, it's a weird one, though, because they have most of the ball, but just don't do much with it. Yeah, um, They have a good chunk of the ball. It's 62.4% possession, but Monaco will create more than double the chances um, and, yeah. and and more than double, uh, almost double the shots. So yeah, just, yeah, it needs to have a rethink. And um, I think had this, had the fans been there, it would have probably been quite toxic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is, I mean, this is the matchup that like Nice fans would, would be up for certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the, the culture around Nice, uh, and, and that kind of ultra, <laughs> that ultra culture. Um, I just, I, I just don't get how Nice with that. I mean, they've got Jeff Renee Adelaide, they've got Casper Dolberg, they've got Amin Guiri, <laughs> like Lise Malou. They have like all of these talented attacking and like link up play, type pieces and it's just not adding up. Um, and, and so, like you said, I think, I think questions ultimately have to be asked of Vieira, although, you know, as much as that, uh, must pain you as an, as an <laughs> right. Arsenal supporter. Um, but ultimately Nico Kovac able to get the win. Um, his, uh, his 
I mean, his is another one, another team where you look at it and each name is exciting in that, you know, Ben Yetter, Voland, Gelson Martins. Um, There are some big names in the side, but it's uh, (laughs) DeSassi and then Sofian Diop. uh, So two, you know, uh, like of the lesser names in the in the Monaco side that make the difference. Yeah, yeah, and and Nikol Kovac too. I I've criticized him in the past about you know he's come in to Monaco to also strengthen the defense and has found himself on the end of some beatings. But good for him. This is another feather in his cap too. And also, I was not aware that Vito Manone played for Monaco, yeah. the, the Arsenal <laughs> and uh, Minnesota United and Sunderland legend. Um, <laughs> nice to see him. Some of the most random players turn up at Monaco. Like it's. It's just strange, <laughs> but good for him. I had an actual physical reaction to seeing him because <laughs> I was like, <laughs> it, there was that moment where I'm like, it no, it it can't be him. Like it's just someone who looks like him. <laughs> it's him, and it's and then right. and then yeah, sure enough, um, it it is him. It was his first appearance for them as well. So um, yeah, recent recent move he gets gets the win uh in his first his first appearance under under Kovac at uh at Monaco but uh and in a derby no less but um the the other big rivalry um in France and one that has I think you know I I tweeted from the hardcore football account this has literally sparked riots uh in the past right um this matchup between Lyon and Saint Etienne uh the Derby Rhone Alps uh 2-1 win for Lyon um Saint Etienne uh unable to get to get past uh their their kind of big brother I guess you would say in terms of the the size of these clubs um and the story of this one Tino Kataware uh the Zimbabwean international uh forward for for Lyon with a brace and one of which was a wonderfully worked goal finished with a back heel <laughs> as well um uh, just a couple of, of moments of brilliance sandwiched by two goalkeeping howlers. Um, yeah. Anthony Lopez on San Etienne's goal. And then, uh, and then kind of where a second, um, both finishes at the near post that absolutely have no business, uh, going in. <laughs> yeah. And he, I think he came off the bench. Am I right? That's so Kadawari did. Uh yeah yeah he does yeah, come so off the bench talk talk about instant impact um, yeah. and he's got three goals now for the season um it was a good win obviously you always want to win the derby and I think Leon did dominate but I still don't think that this gets Rudy Garcia necessarily in the good graces of the of the fans of Legon. um he just. I just don't know that he's the man for the job and and people have asked you know Leon's brass if extending his contract is a priority to which they've said it is not. So, um, so yeah, they sit fifth now and, and obviously they'll be happy to have won the Derby, but uh, it's just, again, it's just sad that you couldn't see the fans there. Cause this is one of those derbies that absolutely goes off when, uh, when fans are in the stands, but um, yeah. Yeah. So it's the end they're sitting 15th and, and just hoping I think to survive and stay in league on this year, given all the turnover they've had. 
the uh the interesting thing about Rudy Garcia uh he did actually spend one one year uh i think less than a full season as San Etienne manager uh it back in 2001 <laughs> so uh <laughs> rare shared history um between between both clubs uh in this particular rivalry but yeah, Leon, I, I I think it's another match where they probably feel like they should have performed better um, overall in terms of, I mean, just the talent that Leon have at their disposal is so high quality. <laughs> and I think it's yeah. similar to to the conversations around around Monaco and around Nice where it's like, okay, I, the names all should add up to something more than what I'm seeing in front of me. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, so Leon able to sneak out the win in, in the Derby and, and certainly not the cathartic uh, five nil Fakir shirt off uh, in front of the San Etienne fans uh, sparking, you know, actual pitch invasions and having to evacuate <laughs> the field and everything. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but a good win for, for Olympic, uh, Lyonnais nonetheless. Uh, and, uh, yeah, league. Un, I mean, PSG all have, you know, essentially kind of waltzing <laughs> to the title already. I, I think it's shaping up that way. But the the fight, as we said, is all kind of tightly packed in there, like in the European places, especially a lot of opportunities for teams not normally kind of in and around those areas to to maybe upset upset the normal order. I would love if Leo and Leon Marseille can can make some inroads in the league and and, you know, upset the apple cart, I guess, at PSG again. As I said in other leagues, I think if anyone, any outsiders want to try for the title, this is a season to do that. Um, and and yeah, it would be it would be cool. It would be cool. I think I think there would be much more interest in league on if 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 someone could knock PSG off their perch, but remains to be seen. Well, Mika, we have been doing our sounds of the season spotify playlist and uh we've got some more additions um well first and foremost um do you want to talk about the the playlist and how people can find it yeah absolutely so just open spotify it's a spotify playlist and just search hardcore football and sounds of the season season one is our plays should pop up along with our show so you can subscribe to to both of those while you're on there we also have a link to it in the uh hardcore football twitter account so at hxc football on twitter um you can find it there and phil i'm sure you can probably add it to the the show notes or the Mm -hmm. the uh tweet for the the podcast episode but yeah it's just our our fun side project uh putting together some music for you all and the the playlist is at like two hours of jams now so um it's it's a nice little mix of just the the whole span of of the rock alternative genre i guess so so yeah we'll be we add four songs to it every week so go check it out yeah I'm very interested, Mika, for for your additions. And I like the I like the first one that I'm seeing on the outline because you've gone you've gone pretty like on the nose here. I have, I have. <laughs> yes. I've got my first one is 
Bat Country by Avenged Sevenfold. Just got to shout out Los Che Valencia, <laughs> um, Los Mercielagos for their amazing result against Real Madrid. Um, and I just love A7X. I was talking about them the other night with a friend and I was like, you know what? This would be a good ad- addition to the, the playlist given what Valencia managed to do in La Liga this past weekend. So, yes, very on the nose. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm sure Jake Konecki, our friend, will, will like that. So, yeah, that's was, my first one. <laughs> I was going to say, Jake will definitely enjoy enjoy this one for, for the Valen- positive Valencia talk. And then, uh, exactly. and, and yeah, that country, certainly he can, uh, he can <laughs> relate uh, <laughs> to that for one. For sure. Yeah. And then I've, I've gone with another song that just came up on shuffle today. And I just, it's a, it's a good song. And the chorus says, maybe we're just having too much fun. And that's exactly <laughs> what I think this, uh, this crazy football season has been so far. And that's uh bulls in the Bronx by Pierce the veil. Just a, it's a cool jam. Um, um, one of those like uh post-hardcore, I guess, groups that, that I really enjoy. And so I added them as well. What about you, yeah. Phil? What do you got today? Um, well, first, I just want to say that that entire Pierce the Veil album uh, with uh, Bulls in the Bronx on it is is very. So, what is it? Uh, <laughs> I can't remember the name of the album for some reason. Something um, the sky. Something the sky. Let me look it up. Collide with the sky. Collide with the sky. I wanted to say yes. collapse the sky. I was like, that doesn't make sense. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Collide with the sky. I'm more that's a good partial album. to Selfish Machines myself. Well, yeah, Selfish I mean, Machines has yeah, like that's a banger. No, like just bangers. But yes, yeah. Collide with the Sky is a great um, album too. So yeah, this so this week um I went with uh a couple um these are just a couple of bangers that I wanted to include and I've forced into some sort of uh you know, uh, like relation to this weekend. Um, <laughs> so the first is by a band called era, um, E R E R R a, um, and it's called eye of God. Um, and that is to me, messy seeing Griezmann running behind him and dummying. Um, oh, sure. that's the eye of God. Uh, but no, it's <laughs> like, uh, it's, it's a kind of traditional like metalcore track, but, their their ability to combine like the heaviness and the and like melody uh is just very very cool um to me and then uh the second one very little known i would say little known band uh called time the valuator very random name um and it's this song called elusive reason and elusive reason is how I characterize this season. I have no idea why any of this is happening. I don't know why most things are taking place. Um, but yeah, this this one for me, it, this is kind of like in the vein of like, it's almost like a little bit more um, traditional like rock version of like, of like a dance Gavin dance or something like that, like more emphasis Mm. on kind of the clean, uh, vocals and everything. Um, so there's a, there's a moment in this, uh, melody wise that it's just like, so unbelievable and like kind of soaring compared to, you know, what you would expect from, from kind of normal alternative. So yeah, just a really cool, um, just a really cool song. And, uh, 
I definitely am. Yeah, just looking for the reason behind all of the <laughs> all of this madness. Um, Mika, unfortunately, we're headed into the international break. I know it's kind of a what bummer. Like do? we need to figure something out. I think. Like, what do we do? Like when <laughs> when there's not, we gotta get some like concept episodes going or something, or like yeah. pick a debate topic or something <laughs> maybe yeah. we'll ask the we'll have to ask our our followers kind of what they want to what they want to talk about yeah, uh, yeah maybe we'll have to think of something yeah absolutely and if you have if you have any questions thoughts comments whatever you guys can obviously hit us up at hx8 oh my god at hxc football uh on twitter and um certainly uh you know anything that that you guys engage with us we're we're willing to to talk about and um and we always enjoy just interacting uh on there and along with that if you've enjoyed the show you can you can follow along on any of the big podcast platforms if you can leave a review like on iTunes uh please do um otherwise you can follow on on Spotify Google Podcasts um, and yeah, just get new episodes when they drop. Um, and yeah, we're enjoying putting this together together for you guys. And, and we're just, uh, enjoying this season and, and all of the madness that goes with it. So, um, yeah, hopefully you all have enjoyed and, uh, until next time, stay, stay safe, everybody out there and just, uh, yeah, Definitely. yeah, we will, uh, we will hopefully record something interesting before the international break is over but uh but yeah until next time guys we'll uh we'll see you